Welcome to the Frontline Podcast, brought to you in association with the Atler Group. Atler Group is a collaboration of businesses with a collective history of over 130 years, bringing financial solution to its clients in the world of accountancy, audit, advisory, fiduciary and retirement benefit solutions. Visit atler.im today. On the Frontline Podcast, we chat to leaders in business and successful entrepreneurs to bring you their in-depth and bite-sized opinions that will add value to you and your mind. The Honourable David Ashford, MBE, thanks for joining me today. Pleasure. So, quick question. MBE, was that a surprise? It was an absolute, complete surprise. Um, the governor rang me one Saturday. Um, he asked if I was sitting down. I wasn't at the time, but I soon was shortly afterwards. Um, I wasn't expecting it whatsoever. I was just getting on with my job being health minister. Um, I still, to this day, you never find out who actually nominated you. Um, so I still, to this day, don't know. Um, but for me, the award's not just about me. It's about what the entire Alaman Health Service has done over the period. Because, to be honest, as an Ireland, we really put together and we managed to do something that at the time was quite unique around the world yeah no absolutely we'll dig into that a little bit in a, in a moment you've been to collect already i have i went away to windsor uh this track of time now uh, yeah last week um okay. I was at Windsor Castle, um, and it was the Prince of Wales that actually um, awarded it to me. Um, so yeah, been and got it, and uh, done and out of the way. And do you have much dialogue as part of that presentation process with the? Um, yes, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, we had a good chat um, with the Prince of Wales. Um, he was saying that he must come back over to the island. Actually, it's been a while since he was last on the island. Um, Prince William, his son, of course, uh, comes over occasionally for the TTs when we have them yeah. because he's quite a big bike fan. Yeah, of course. So. The million dollar question, why get into politics? As an outsider, I often look at politicians and think, what, yeah... Do you know, it's something that just happened. Um, you know, there was no sort of Michael Hessel time plan on the back of an envelope. Um, when I moved back to the Ireland from uh, working in the UK, um, I knew a few people who were on Douglas Council, David Christian, Richie McNichol and uh, Stephen Pitts. And they convinced me in 2008 to stand for the council. Um, I stood, I was elected and I spent eight and a half years there and then uh, people managed to convince me to stand for MHK mm. and the rest is history as they say yeah. there was no grand plan um and I don't, you know and it's just one of those things that happens okay interesting so I want to chat about not too much about COVID because I'm sure like everyone else it's, it's been a topic of conversation for a couple of years but I just want to set the scene and then maybe just understand from your position that you were in at the times on the health side and how you handled that ultimately so if I just go a quick timeline, we looked at, or I was looking at these stats, and the 31st of December 2019, which is two years ago, the Chinese authority alerted the World Health Organization that uh, June, uh, January the 11th, 2020, the first cases uh, were reported more globally. And then at the end of January that year, which is 2020, the World Health Organization declared a state of emergency. In your position, I appreciate you maybe can't pinpoint the day, where did it become on the radar that this was something that uh, our little island had to think about? Well, it came on the radar towards the end of 2019. So I'd say probably between Christmas and New Year, to be perfectly honest. Um, we'd always had pandemic plans in place because, this, you know, there had been the swine flu, the bird flu potential, um, and obviously also SARS as well, which if it had actually taken off, would have been a very serious problem for the world. So there'd been pandemic 
pandemic plans in place since 2015 and we were getting them ready to see if we needed to activate them so it was something we were monitoring but obviously January as you pointed out that was the big case where it started looking like it was going to spread around the world and that's when we started making big plans. And not knowing the insides of how these things work that's ultimately getting the experts around feeding you information data on where they think this might go and I presume that's a super fluid process. It very much is. Um, there were certain peaks and troughs in cases around the world in January. So it wasn't certain, was it going to spread into Europe? If it did, how quickly was it going to do so? And the other thing, which is the most important, is we didn't have stats at that time around what percentage are going to be seriously ill, what percentage could potentially tragically die from it. Mm. So we needed to start trying to factor in data left, right and centre as to what happened when it reached the Isle of Man. And, and during that, again, just looking in, in your own mind, your how are you dealing with that? You just, just that's my job. I've got to deal with the information, feedback, my thoughts. It was, it was, a, level. It was. I mean, it was something new. Um, it, was, it wasn't in the job description <laughs> for Minister to Health. Um, nobody mentioned worldwide <laughs> pandemics when I took the role on. Um, but, you know, it, it was something you just have to cope with it and you just have to take the information that's there. Um, one of the things that is very great about the health uh, role is you've got a lot of support. You've got some highly qualified medics on Ireland. And we also have lots of links into the UK. So we were able to pull links and data from Public Health England as well to where you to fact into our thinking um, but things were very very fast moving and to be honest a lot of it's still a blur yeah. even you know I think probably next year will be the time for me to sit down reflect and think what on earth happened there yeah. Um, but yeah things were very very fast moving and it was a case of absorbing the data and trying to work out from what was happening around the world what impact it could have on us do you I, I, I you hear a lot of the word hindsight and you talk there on reflection and maybe it's having a bit more time because ultimately we're still in that that pandemic zone i guess if you look back now how, how do you view what you did and again I, i'm sure you'd be gracious enough to say it was far wider than yourself and there was a wider government and, and support network but for yourself what's your reflection of that whole time i mean my reflection is i think we did the right thing based on the data we had at the time would you do everything exactly the same time. so for instance would you shut the borders and exclude um banks residents from coming back as well probably not now in a future pandemic but looking at the way the data was going and what we were seeing coming out of italy yeah. at the point it struck the UK as well I think we did make the right decisions and we have to remember as well we, we had most of 2020 living normally yeah. where we basically eradicated COVID from the island for a good six months of the year yeah. from June to through to the end of 2020 while the rest of the world including the UK remained in lockdown so I think you know although there's always things you can go back and look at I think the direction of travel we took was the right one and it bought us time for the vaccine to be developed and we lived a lot more of a normal life than most other areas of the world did no i agree and it's interesting to hear the the self-reflection of again it's so easy in hindsight to say you would have done things differently but i think in all our lives we'll all look at anything we do and look back and go doesn't mean it was wrong at the time but that ability to to look at hindsight and be able to say that as well because a lot of people will go well no this way or no way and so it's, it's nice to hear so just and interestingly, so I was thinking about the lockdowns and you mentioned that. So I look at situations where your job is decisions you make in government will impact. So you make a decision in, in any role, it will impact a percentage of the population, whether immediately or over a period of time. So if you're making budget cuts or budget extra budget, it might not affect me tomorrow. It might affect me down the road. It might never affect me. But those decisions to make lockdowns 
affected everyone immediately. And I was trying to think of other situations. So we went to war. Unless it was on our doorstep, it's not going to affect me day to day. Blah blah. But that those they're massive decisions, aren't they? Where you're affecting eighty thousand people instantly. Was that thought process when you're making those decisions? This is immediate. Everyone is affected immediately as part of that thought process. I it just was, think it's such a massive. It was enormous decisions, and in fact, it's the biggest decision any government would have to make, which is to restrict the population. Um, as a politician, I tend to be quite a libertarian, um, so it was actually against every political principle for me to be saying to people, stay at home, you can't do this, imposing societal restrictions. Um, as a species, we're very social, we're very interactive, so for a government to be turning around and saying to people, you can't interact, and Basically, you've got, you know, some people were left on their own. It was an absolutely massive decision to make. And, you know, it should it was last resort. I mean, we had to go through the Emergency Powers Act, as it was at the time, to do it. Now, the Emergency Powers Act came in in 1936, and it had only ever been used once before, right. and that was for the Second World War. Okay. Um, right. Other than that, it had never been used. So it, was, so it was absolutely a massive decision to make to use the emergency powers to actually restrict people's movement in a free society. And do you find in, the, in those stressful times an opportunity to stand back and go, while this is testing me and testing abilities as it does, that this is, is only going to make me stronger going forward? Yeah, I, th- I think what you've got to do sometimes is take a breath and step back. And I think that's good in any walk of life and any job role, because you can have stuff being thrown at you left, right and centre. And certainly, I mean, if I take my role as Minister of Health and Social Care during the pandemic, myself and the CEO of the department were on occasions having Microsoft team meeting catch ups at 1am because it was the only time we were both free with everything that was going on. But it is important still to diarise and to keep that time where you can step back and look at the big picture because it's very easy to sort of get washed away in the day to day and you've still got to look at the overall strategy and check that you're happy with that and you think the direction of travel is right so it's interesting because that brings me on to when we're looking at a corporate like like ourselves here at Atlo, we looking after staff ensuring staff are happy uh, and their mental health and well-being is integrated into that from a government perspective how's again it's a super stressful time how was that support network there within within the government aspect to, to provide that? Was and I presume there's a lot of self checking of you touched on there as well. There was it was about reassuring people and I mean it was hugely stressful for the health and social care staff. I mean I can, no matter how much I praise them, I can never praise them enough for what they actually did. I mean they, they a lot of them moved out of their own family homes because they were worried about catching COVID at work. They didn't want to bring it back to their families because in those days we didn't know the effect on children necessarily. We didn't know you know again the the you know the deaths statistics the serious illness statistics were still formulating so these people really didn't know were they exposing themselves to a virus that could potentially kill or harm themselves and their families Um, and so it was very important to get that reassurance for staff to try and keep communicating with them Um, and I know that the management up at Nobles um, tried to keep as much staff welfare as they could they were working exceptionally long hours as well so it was important to try and give some flexibility to people where we could maybe more for what about you guys because again you'll always talk about the the people around you getting the support what about you guys though because you're just as 
as the decision makers that that well-being is just as important if not more important so you're making clear decisions with a clear mind there is i mean i i, I personally if i look at me personally yeah. um, i'm a bit of a, a rare one because i'm a bit of an insomniac so i don't okay. sleep much and i'm also a bit of a workaholic um so i like trawling through um data my background is project management and the one thing a virus isn't short of is data <laughs> so actually i was a bit in my element in that sense of being able to absorb information what i found important for me was to actually just take the time to breathe um so my children were with their mother um during the pandemic lockdown so i didn't see my kids for about 14 weeks um while everything was shut down um because although children could actually transfer between households still i thought as minister it was better to set an example that we weren't mixing households in any way shape or form and so the most i saw of them was over um telephone and video um facebook messenger um so for me i think what was important was to take some breathing space during each day so i normally each day made sure that i took at least half an hour to an hour to do something i wanted to do so read a book you know just take so do something that you actually enjoyed um and i still managed to get out for my daily walk as well which was allowed at the time because that was quite crucial for my own mental health i think yeah and that's the yeah that's the ability to be able to just know that you need to take a step back as well because again there's only so many hours in a day and so much mental space to process everything interesting so another another interesting subject i'm sure social media uh, everyone obviously has an opinion and everyone's entitled to opinion I, I don't know how many social channels you're on again i just as an observer and this is more from your perspective of how because you can get negativity as much as positive things on there's negativity I was wondering from a personal perspective how you deal with that do you ignore it do you try and absorb it try and be critical and take the take the constructive comments how do you deal with that it's a it's a mixture of all of those. I mean, you know, if you're in politics, you are going to come in for criticism on social media. It's it goes as part of it, and um, because you've got a high profile, and as Minister for Health and Social Care, you don't have much more of a higher profile than you're going to get them during a worldwide pandemic. Um, there are some comments on there which are clearly just aimed at being critical, no matter what. You you just have to ignore those. They never have for me. I mean, I, I know some colleagues they do. Um, and some colleagues actually get quite upset by things that happen on social media. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm a bit hard-nosed to that. It doesn't bother me in the same way. Um, there are some people where there's things that are completely incorrect. And where I can, I try to go on social media and actually give the actual facts. Um, so, But social media as a platform can be very good at getting messages out. But there is that other side as well. And I think with social media, sometimes people just need to think before they post. Because it's very easy to sit in front of a keyboard and in the moment fire something off Mm. i think people sometimes need to pause and reflect on what they're actually sending and the impact it might be like i say for me um i don't worry about criticism on social media i do the job um if i do a good job then potentially people will vote for me again if i stand at an election if i do a bad job then people can select another candidate i've I've never been precious about that um but there is also some suggestions that come across on social media that are very good um some new innovative thinking so and i and i think one of the great things that happened with social media during the pandemic was some of these groups that came up about self-help where there was some community groups where people were getting together supporting one another there was also a group 
group that sprung up about community networks where people were going and checking on people um, the elderly in the community mm. so there is a lot of bad with social media but there's also a lot of good as well yeah. that came from it I do I know I agree I, I think social media sometimes does get a worse rep and there's the bad things that go on on there for sure but there's certainly benefits of having it for, for sure as well so then dropping the social and going to the media in general and What's your, you know, do you feel yourself and the government get a fair representation to the to the Manx people from from the job you do? Um, it can be mixed. Um, there's sometimes where you see certain articles spring up, and you get really frustrated because you think it's not actually right. Um, to be fair to the media outlets over here, normally if you raise it with them, they will actually correct it where you can show that the article is wrong. Um, I think overall the Manx media is actually pretty good. I think they do give government a fair hearing. And we have to remember government media is not just there to report what government wants it to report. It's there to be critical, to have a critical eye on things, um, not just to not just to publish what government wants it to publish. So you will be in the media spotlight and people should be able to challenge. Yeah, yeah. So your new role, moving on to your new role now. Uh, interestingly that you're... The, Having, having to deal with the pandemic as the health minister, you then kind of come out of a, a global pandemic or coming out of, and, and naturally one of the major balances now is cost for everyone, for the world, so you're thrown into now managing the funds. Uh, was that a surprise to get the role to maybe talk to you how that pro I don't know how does that process work is that a two-way conversation with the chief minister how does that work? yeah I mean so so the great thing about the chief minister's election is sometimes people have this thing of everything's going on behind the scenes there's bartering there's trading <laughs> with this chief minister election both candidates both Dr Allenson and Mr Cannon made it absolutely clear to all members there'd be no discussions about roles with anyone until the vote was done and I think that was absolutely Should the be. right thing to do the correct thing to do and it was brilliant to see that in action um, once the election was over um, I supported Alf Cannon because I thought he was a very good candidate and the best candidate for bringing the island forward he invited me in to have a chat with them and he asked me if I'd be willing to take on Treasury which you know I was delighted to do mm. I will miss health and social care I've got to be honest about that I spent nearly four years there been through a most of a worldwide <laughs> pandemic with it as well mm. um, and, this, and I'll miss the amazing people I worked with but Treasury brings with it new challenges and uh, the joke I keep using is I've gone from the department that wants to spend everything <laughs> to the department that doesn't want anyone yeah. to spend anything <laughs> yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a bit of a flip of a coin, really, if that's the uh, yeah. if that's not a pun. Um, <laughs> a bit of a flip of a coin to go from one side to the other. Yeah. And the incoming health health side is that I presume it's dialogue, is I call it a handover, but there's that that process that goes on, I assume, in the background. Yeah, I mean, I think Laurie will be an absolutely brilliant Minister for Health. He's a very good communicator, um, so I think he'll be able to communicate with the public and the public will really engage with them. Um, it, I'm still around. I may have gone to Treasury, but I've not disappeared <laughs> off the planet and I'll be there to help Laurie or any ministerial colleague um, in their roles if I can. And what are you hoping to achieve in your role over the next three or four years? I think one of the big challenges of the five years is is the Isle of Man has always been very, very good at reinventing itself. Mm. Um, we've been very good at seeing the next big thing and getting onto it before other people and other jurisdictions. And I think that's what we've got to do again. We've got quite a diversified economy at the moment, but we need to diversify further. I think um, green technology gives us 
huge uh, potential advantages and income streams over the next five years. I mean, we're in Ireland in the middle of the Irish Sea. So if we can't make green technology work, who, who are, who's going to be able to? And I think we need to be looking now at what are the next big things? Where's the next set of economic growth um, going, going to come from? And not be afraid to take those steps to get the economy moving. And do you think that there's going to be hard decisions in there as well about, I think inevitably there's an element of trepidation of spending money is that again just part of the balance of what you've got to find it is i think there will be challenges um certainly you know the budget this year is going to be a challenge um we've got climate change to fund um all of the departments um, particularly the service departments actually want to need more money for to provide their services we're a low tax economy trying to provide high value services mm. and there's a bit of a dichotomy between the two there so there's always going to be challenges stresses and strains but i think you know we've been very good at reinventing ourselves we've been very adaptive as an island and my role as treasury minister for the next five years is to make sure we remain just as responsive and just as adaptive to be able to get the job opportunities and the opportunities for us as an economy to move forward and do you beyond those five years do you see where you're you got longer term vision or just I've got a role here this is my next yeah, three, I, four years well we started out mentioning about Michael Hesseltine's uh, <laughs> on the back of an envelope there isn't one of those yeah, no. um, I've always said I'll do any job in government um, that you know I, I'm, I'm, I've, we've just had a general election and I'm now focused on the next five years would, um, would you always envisage staying in politics do you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I've said this in a few interviews with Paul Moulton, actually, that the weird thing is I don't see myself as a career politician. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was on Douglas Council for eight and a half years, and now I'm um, t- a two-term MHK. But yeah, I still don't view it as being my career path. Um, we'll see where it goes and in five years' time if I decide to stand again, if I decide to move on and do something different. And I, I think, you know, sometimes it's good for politicians to change and move around yeah, yeah. and do different things and have different life experiences. But um, certainly for me, I, I don't necessarily see it as this is me in politics and this is all I will ever do yeah. from now until whenever I decide to retire. It's quite interesting. I was just thinking there earlier, talking about, I suppose, that I opened up with why why, why politics. And again, I come at, you just see a lot of aggravation, but I suppose, presume there's a lot of reward from just being voted in, having that, having that people that believe in what you're trying to do, whether it's for your community or the wider island, it must be quite humbling. It is. I mean, one of the things I love is the constituency work, is engaging with constituents and trying to solve their problems on the ground. In fact, I must be honest, it was one of the things I found most frustrating being Minister for Health and Social Care, was trying to balance the needs of being Minister of that quite heavy duty department alongside trying to continue to do the constituency work while we had a pandemic well, and while having a worldwide <laughs> pandemic at the yeah. same time for a good 18 months yeah. of it um but you know some you know constituents will still come to you with problems and issues and in the scheme of things it may seem small but to that person it means the world it is causing issues in their life they need it resolving and when you can resolve something for someone it's the best thing to actually see the look on their face and they are so appreciative that the issue has been resolved yeah. that it really does make it worthwhile. I mean, I would say to anyone that despite, you know, sometimes the way it's portrayed in the media or actually, you know, the, the abuse from social media, being in politics actually is a very worthwhile thing to do. Rewarding, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, 
in your position, whether you consider it yourself, you have to be a leader, you are a leader. If you sort of tag attributes to that, there's obviously a wide range of them for, for depending on your type of leadership style for yourself. What do you look at as your kind of leadership that, that again, listeners might take away and um, study and educate themselves if they want to improve in that area? I, I think actually there's two qualities of leadership from me. The first is listening. Um, actually listen to those around you um, be aware that you know you don't necessarily have the you know the entire god-given right on decision making and views um, I think it's important to listen and take all the views into account before you make any decisions and the other thing is that there's no such thing as a stupid question if you're looking at something and you feel that there's something not quite right always question and interrogate um you know you might think this is absolutely you know absolutely silly question they're going to think i'm nuts asking this but i've tended to find actually sometimes what you think's a silly question yeah. gets everyone else in the room thinking oh yeah. actually yeah or i was thinking that yeah I should have asked that. exactly yeah. so I, I think they're two absolutely key skills in terms of leadership and and i think engage with people that's the other key thing, you know, understand people in their roles, what they're doing and the pressures they are under as well. I think uh, Observer over the last 18 months is some, and it's, I think it's an often missed skill, is calmness. My observation would be from, from all of the government at the time, there was always a general calmness and never felt a panic. I don't know, maybe under the water, the old duck's legs were going hell for leather but certainly externally and obviously for the public you need to remain calm but it's easy to say that when all those pressures are going on yeah it was very much a swan i've got to <laughs> say looking very graceful on top <laughs> and there was a lot of paddling going on underneath but i think as well i mean I, again the mindset i've always come from is if something goes wrong or something happens there's no point worrying about it worrying about it or panicking doesn't actually f- fix anything i've always come from the mindset and again maybe it's my project management skills in the private sector it's happened what do we do to fix it Um, and you're better focusing your energies on what you do to fix it rather than worrying about the fact it's happened in the first place Um, and again i think you know when that feeds again into leadership that sometimes it's wise to just take a step back take a breath and actually look at things rather than just flying in headlong um, because that doesn't help anyone. Yeah, no, I see I see that a lot where, yeah, in business decisions you've sometimes, let's sleep on it, let's think of, we think we've got the answer, it sounds brilliant, but let's sleep on it because yeah. you're just taking that step back. And, we, and that's actually what we try to do um, in government throughout, um, not just with COVID, but with other decisions where you can have sometimes some highly passionate topics where the decision's going one way, we pause a decision and we say, well, actually, we'll come back to it tomorrow. And the next day, the decision goes in a completely mm. different direction when people have had more time to think about mm. it. And I think that's a skill in itself is not being afraid to actually not make a decision yeah. at that point in time. Because whether it's politics or business, there's always that pressure to make a decision and run with it. Mm. And I think sometimes people shouldn't be afraid to actually step back from that and say, no, actually, we need a bit more time to think about this mm. and we're going to come back to it at a later date. 100%. So mentioned earlier about taking time out to read books. I don't want to kind of th- throw you under the bus in regard to what books, because they might be relaxing books, but do you read, do you read like, let's call it entrepreneur books or leadership books? Or are you in that space or your book reading more 
I need a sci-fi novel to take me away from the from what's going on. Well, I'm really sad. It tends to be history and politics, oh, actually, okay. um, in oh. terms of the in terms of the books that I read. I do read novels as well. I'm, I'm an avid reader of Stephen King. Okay. Um, so, uh, but it's, uh, you know, one horror story after another, as they say. <laughs> um, so, no, one of the things I'm reading at the moment is, um, believe it or not, the Oxford History of England. Oh, right, okay. um, so, Does yeah, so re- really, uh, you know, helps with the insomnia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think maybe then just a quick last question. When you... When you, and I appreciate you're only some way through whatever career, whether it's all politics or bit of politics, but if you kind of stop the clock today, what would you like people to look back at your politic political career to this point? What would you like people to remember you by? I I think I think if we stop the clock today, um, I'd like people to think he did try to do his best for our island community. Um, you know, for me, be it. The impact on people is what matters. Sometimes in politics, it's very easy to get wrapped up in this entity and bubble that is government. But we have to remember government is there to facilitate society, not the other way around. Mm. And I think, you know, it's I think that's what I'd want people to try and remember is what uh, what he had a positive impact on our community. That would be the legacy I'd want to leave behind. Interesting. And then one final, the uh, I assume, and I would if I was to ever get an MBE, which will never happen, I'd be wearing it all the time. I presume you wear it around the office, because I would be. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not wearing, it around, the, not wearing it around the office. I'll <laughs> wear it on Remembrance Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but no, not, uh, not, not wearing it around the office just yet anyway. <laughs> well, congratulations on it. Congratulations, certainly, well, I say congratulations, eight, last 18 months through a very difficult time where certainly, you know, Everything was bent and flexed in every direction. And, you know, again, as an observer, I'm sure I sat on the sidelines at times saying, this lockdown needs to end. I need to get, you know, we've got people, you know, got employees we need mm-hmm. to employ. So I, I could only imagine as a sideline, it's easy to criticise. So imagine being inside that. It was a it was a difficult time. It's a testimony to everyone across from then the health workers and everyone else that had to deal with the situation. And it's ultimately still going on now, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's still continuing and everything is always a balancing act. Um, a lot of the time, it depends on how many plates you can juggle at any one time. <laughs> Seems like you juggle a lot from what I can see. So. <laughs> I think I've had the whole cutlery set <laughs> over the uh, and crockery set over the last 18 months. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Dave. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone.